Welcome to the Urban Insight Podcast from Suico. Welcome to the Urban Insight Podcast. I've got Suico's Head of Sustainability, Andreas Yedlenhammer, with me. How are you for a start? Uh, thank you. I'm well. Yeah, as your business is good, and and I really see that sustainable development is happening. So I'm in a good mood. Okay, well, it's good to hear. Now, our topic today is about how to create cities that adopt a completely circular economy approach. And mm. I mean, to date, we hear a lot of people talking about climate neutral and cutting emissions to to zero emissions, but not so much about circularity. Why is that? That's true. I think that climate is is. Of course, it's a complex issue, but still less complex than a, the circular economy. It's it's easy to understand the concept of decarbonization. I mean, re- removing emissions of mainly carbon dioxide and, and methane. And we've also been presented with a clear deadline here. They have a sense of urgency and, and the regulatory pressure is mounting. And, and finally, everyone has lined up and, and is now on board on the journey towards climate neutrality. I mean, 90% of all global emissions are now under net zero targets. It's it's by no means an easy task, but we're under heavy time constraints. And but the transition is underway, and and it is accelerating. Uh, going circular, on the other hand, it's it's more complex to understand. It's a complete societal shift that doesn't have a single currency as carbon. It's it's a web of material flows and and very much a shift of, of world economy. I think also circularity still lacks the, the momentum that climate transition has. And it's very hard to do single-handedly on your own as, as, a, as a company or as a city. But it's starting to build up. And I, I see more and more action on, on many different markets, uh, starting perhaps with large consumer companies like H&M, Apple, Ikea. And, and they're large enough to, to shift value chains on their own almost. They also have a clear business case in, in getting the material back and, and having a long-term connection with your clients and all those things that are, are driving circularity. Is that the key? Is that the way to make things circular through corporate interests, as it were? Should that be where the push comes from? Or, or how do you do this? That's usually a very good thing. Uh, but they also need help. They need help from authorities and, and politics to get things started and, and have long-term rules that, that uh, companies need. But without getting the system into kind of our, our market economy, it, it's really uh, uh, swimming upstreams to try to do change. This last point by Andreas, that we need to get circularity into our market economy. We're going to be talking a lot about it in this podcast. And the question for me has always been how? How do you do that? How do you even start going about changing the entire planet's way of living and doing business? Okay, we're recording. Sharon Gill is based in Paris and works for the United Nations Environment Programme, UNEP. She's a technical lead at the city's unit. In UNEP, we speak a lot and we focus our efforts on addressing the triple crises on biodiversity loss, climate change and pollution. So uh, I like to think of it as we're just fighting for human survival, really. (laughs) In (laughs) In our division, Uh, which is called the economy division. We drive systemic reforms to our economy that support a better relationship between our economic system and our environment. So, and one of the ways that we do this is through pushing for a more circular economy. It's one of the ways we try to change our economic system. And within that, I have a very um, specific role as well. I coordinate the work around circularity and cities. 
So back to that question of how then, how do you make a city go circular? So I think the most fundamental change that needs to happen is change in mindset. It's psychological. We need to understand that the circular economy and the movement around it is not just about the environment. It's an economic transformation, and that's what re- what we really need. This means that we need to change the way we produce and the way we consume. And it's, it's really fundamental change. Think of it in the way technology was shifted uh, to usher in the Industrial Revolution. Of course, it's a very big shift, and we don't expect cities to, to take all that in and to, <laughs> to take responsibility for that. Um, so, but they do have a significant part. So right now, a lot of cities focus on solid waste issues when discussing circularity, and there's nothing wrong with, with that. What's important is that we start somewhere. But we also need to expand our understanding of the circular economy Uh, People like me who work on circularity in cities talk about um, what we call urban metabolism. Um, So you can imagine cities as an organism with things coming in and out of the system, so like a human being. And that would be goods and services coming in and out of the system then, is it? Yes, yes. So that would be goods and services coming in, materials. Um, And so the goal for a city is to start asking questions like, where does our food come from? How long do our buildings last so that, you know, uh, and where, where do our building materials come from? What happens to our waste? Is there a place where we can repair our appliances, for example? Um, and I think uh, we, we really need to reimagine the way we live. You know, it sounds fluffy, but it's, but there are concrete ways of doing it. So there are ways where we can build our cities to encourage less material use, uh, planning for a city where cycling and public transport is, um, is the best way to move around is one example uh, of doing this. Um, a city can also invest in reskilling the population towards jobs that support um, an environmentally responsible and socially just economy. Uh, yep. there's, there's something there. If we go back to that point you made about it being, you know, primarily a psychological change, because we have to rethink the way we're we're living. I mean, this means the entire globe needs to to move away from wanting to buy that shiny new bag or the new pair of shoes to to a wholly, completely different way of living. And I, I presume then. So, like, how does that mindset shift happen? Well, this is where I see the role of cities coming in, because we we should not forget that cities are leaders. Cities are key political centers and catalysts of political reform, where the political reform really comes from a change in mind shift in the population, right? So education is key. How do we train our architects to think beyond design and construction materials to all the way to where our construction and demolition waste goes? you know, the entire lifespan of the building, generating awareness so that citizens are uh, consciously buying into the circular economy model. How do we get people to start thinking again about repair first before buying something new? How do we make it more convenient for people to get things repaired before thinking of buying something new? Sharon Gill says that UNEP talks to cities about two different ways of approaching this. There's the sectoral perspective, Looking at construction, your food systems, your repair centers, just setting that up. Or the systems perspective. 
So you already have a labor plan. You're looking at your employment in your city. So looking at your systems. And, and that's another way of looking at it, either physical change or a systems change. And it doesn't have to be super elaborate. You can start small. We've had communities starting urban gardens, for example, and that change leading up to uh, a more citywide reform. So Sharon Hill gives us the global perspective on circularity in cities. What about within Europe in particular? I'm walking on the streets of Stockholm today. It's a city of 1.6 million people, big city. And I can't help think about all the traffic going by. How do people get out of cars and onto bicycles? How do we make that more attractive? How do we get people to not want to go shopping, but to do something else? There's a building down the road. It was just recently demolished and they're clearing the debris for a new building. So when does that stop? When does every brick on the old building get used for a new one? So I went to meet up with Charlie Goldstrom. She's a research and innovation strategist at Suico. She's reasonably new to Suico, but has spent many years in Sweden's leading research institutes. I started by getting a bit of her background into circularity. And from there, we ended up going straight into one of the main challenges facing the Nordic nations on this topic. I was part of the build-up of Viable Cities, which is one of the strategic innovation programs, which is yeah quite, a, quite an important catalyst currently, both in terms of circular economy and perhaps primarily for the transition, the climate transition that cities need to undergo. And then I was a short while at RISE, which is a research institute or the research institute of Sweden, and where I worked a lot with um, sort of capacity building in, in Swedish cities and governance innovation topics. What does capacity building mean? Well, it means that cities are not, actually, they're not prepared for change. They're prepared for stability and to, yeah, to provide for citizens. Um, this is the whole, I guess, the, this fantastic Swedish model, you know, the, the buildup of the Swedish public sector over decades, which now means it's quite a, quite a stable body that doesn't necessarily want to change. But, I mean, the, the pandemic was one example where, you know, all municipalities, the whole society was exposed. So those who were with capacity building, you are able to change. Does this mean that the fact that in Sweden, for example, where the state supports every citizen from cradle to grave, that this is actually a negative thing, at least when it comes to circularity? This is very complex, of course. Yeah. It's really important that we can rely uh, on public sector, uh, that we also that we want to trust in it. This is that we see differences across Europe right now in that respect. But it's not enough that the municipalities are doing the job. The citizens who have now been in Sweden been a bit, we've become a bit passive. So passive uh, versus active citizenship is one of my hot topics. Because I think that we have been a little bit pacified by this sort of uh, fantastic society that we have. So if you're a city that doesn't have capacity building, then you're not so good at change. And for a change like this, making a city go circular, you can't rely just on the municipality. You need a bottom-up approach and a top-down approach happening together. So we looked at Stockholm in particular to see what it could do. The curious thing about Stockholm when we talk about circular economy is that we don't have a goal addressing circular economy 
but we have many other goals, like any city has now Agenda 2030, of course, is the key, you know, those those climate goals is what steers development. So then if we come in on the side with this thing called circular economy, we need to relate that to those goals that we're we're working on, uh, on at national level. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But to get the the bottom up process, I think what we can do in the in such a huge city as Stockholm is to look at um, geographical areas. So Stockholm has already pinpointed uh, five geographical areas where they feel that they have. Um, enough running collaboration with local stakeholders, with citizens, interesting projects with academia, with uh, a whole range of actors. So that there's already things going on there. If one can look at that as a system boundary and try to work on on circular economy in that local context, yeah. then I think it could be fruitful to to get you know more citizens involved. In this topic, so you take a pocket of Stockholm or five pockets, as we're talking about, and then the people who live there start becoming engaged about the fact that this is a this is a, a test bed, if you like, to become circular, and you can become a part of it, and then and, and create engagement that way. Yes, exactly. Okay. And we were interestingly, we were in Jävle presenting a proposal for a whole city district. Jävle is a town of seventy five thousand people, about one hundred and sixty kilometers north of Stockholm. How can we do it uh, with a complete circular economy approach? Can we brand a city district as a circular economy? That would be brilliant. So we try to show how that would work. And I think that's uh, often the case that a city knows that they need more um, housing. But how how do you do it? You need more housing at the same time. You need to reach that climate goal. That's an impossible equation unless you really control data. Now I come to the big topic of circular economy here. Right, go on. Data then, yeah? Yeah, because circular economy is really, it's about flows. It's about um, resources. Where are those resources? Do you have them? Do I have them? Is it about energy? In which case, is it in that building or in that building? So circular economy is about, really it's about sharing resources and assets and skills and, you know, competences. To, to get there, you need to control those flows, of course. And to control those flows, you need to know where are they? Because if you can visualize where data, and especially where surplus of, de- of, of energy or surplus of... Um, so, But this is about data. You need to have it in numbers or in you know geographical uh, location. And that's where I think, um, as architects, we really can contribute here because we work in 3D. Our whole training is about visualizing sure. society in 3D. We love 3D. So we have models. We work in digital models since years. But we have not used those models to host data. Data then, big data. For Charlie Gulstrom, if you want to go circular, you're going to need data and a lot of it. With so many systems in place in a city, you need to understand how they're working and interacting if you really want to make sure nothing goes to waste and everything gets reused. We need to use these models and we need to make them live with those data sources of different kinds that will provide a sort of a sharing platform which is uh, three-dimensional, which is about your neighborhood or your you know, city district, whatever boundary. If we can you know, set the boundary, then we know we can control the data, different kinds of data, different kinds of values, currencies, etc. 
That's my vision. Let's recap here. Andreas Yellenhammer, Sharon Gill from UNEP and Charlie Goldstrom all see that circular cities require a mindset shift, a new market economy. If we're really going to succeed, we need active citizenship. We need to create a community that's going to need a bottom-up and a top-down approach simultaneously. We should start small, but we should start, create an inventory, and if we had or could use data to visualise the entire city's material and resource flows, then we could really gain ground. So, has anyone succeeded yet in shifting mindsets and making inroads into circularity? Sharon Gill from UNEP has a good example from Mexico City. When we started looking at Mexico City in the circularity sense, what we found really interesting was the community efforts that they're using to implement circularity. They, they thought of the circular economy as something that's participative. So we started working with Mexico City to promote circularity. They have the Mercado de Truque, for example, or circular markets where people come. Uh, it's, it's going back to the barter trade, really. People come with their goods and then they get tickets that they can then exchange for other goods uh, instead of having money changed. And then there's the network of sustainable community gardens. So uh, going back to the Mercado de Truque, the, the tickets that you get, you can exchange it for groceries, for example. It's very useful. And then there's network of sustainable community gardens that then, you know, uh, inspired people to look at how they can make their food systems more circular. I mean, we're not looking at community gardens feeding the entire Mexico City. That would we're, we're a long away from from that, but um, the community gardens do help in changing the mindset. So people started thinking about, oh, maybe we should buy closer to our region. So support for the urban periphery farming, for example, went up. Um, and then there's a greater awareness and connection with nature, which is very important for cir- for circularity. Um, they also started doing recycling and construction of demolition waste and involving people in doing that, especially the informal workers. Um, and then um, at a more at a higher scale, not so much the community, they're looking at um, energy and refrigeration programs, which is saving households energy bills. So they they looked at circularity, but tackled very practical problems like I- improving nutrition, saving energy bills, you know, so, you know, buying groceries. So it's, it addresses both environmental and social issues. Suiko's Charlie Goldstrom has an example a little bit closer to home. I would take the example of this Finnish city of Lati. They were part in an in a EU project and they created like a sustainability budget for their citizens, which meant that if you didn't take the bus to work or to school, you could use those credits, uh, for example, to enter the local swimming pool. So it's yeah, a, like a yeah. nudging or promoting yeah. a more sustainable lifestyle. Now, this was very useful that Charlie Goldstrom talked about Lati because we spoke to... Jenny Rahkonen, uh, environmental coordinator of city of Lati. Quick background. Lati is a town of 120,000 people. The ninth biggest city in Finland. If you're into your winter sports, then you'll have heard of Lati as it holds World Cup competitions in cross-country skiing and the like every year. And 
This is a real lakeside city. It's about 100 kilometers from the capital of Helsinki. And we have a lot of beautiful forests and parks here. But it's also making itself known for cutting climate emissions. They aim to be climate neutral by 2025. That's just around the corner. But it looks like they'll get there. We have got down our greenhouse gases emissions by 70% already compared to the level of 1990. And we are making many things to reach this goal every day. And now they're aiming to be completely circular. Yeah, there is a lot to do in that (laughs) goal too. But uh, luckily we have already in 2017 introduced the first regional roadmap for circular economy in Finland. There are many important actions that are already in use. And at the moment we are also preparing the city-level circular city roadmap. We have now involved in the workshops more than 100 participants from city units, companies, universities and schools and NGOs. And the teams that we are concentrating now are education, construction, material flows, a sustainable food system and, and of course important thing is the public procurement. And we are aiming to finish this roadmap by the end of the year and starting to implement all these decided actions then. And of course, it's very important to actively communicate to the citizens what circular economy actually means and are now, for example, organizing events for all the citizens. Uh, One thing I'm thinking about with this roadmap is that there are so many different areas that you've mentioned from material flows to waste management to, to mobility to all these things. And I guess they all have to work together in some way. So is, is that like is that a challenge for you or, or, or what is it like putting together a roadmap like this? It sounds very complex. Yeah, that is really complex. But on the other hand, they are so connected to each other that if you are doing one part, you are also helping the, the other part. Right. And of course, we cannot do all the steps in the, at the same time. But first, starting from the smaller, smaller, easier steps and then developing further. And I think there is a lot of interest, at, at least in, inside the city workers already, but also with the companies that they really want to develop this circular economy and be the front runners in this. So maybe we can just go into that. I mean, how have you managed to get companies on board? And then you've also talked about citizens as well, but obviously it's key to get everyone on, on board. So what, what have you done there? Yeah, uh, at the moment we are having these communication campaigns, 1.5 degree lifestyle. We have been recruiting citizens to tell about their sustainable lifestyle and then we are telling it in the local media. And is that key, do you think? Is that a really important part of this then, to have have clear communication and to be pushing it, you know, within social media and mainstream media? That is really important. And then we have some uh, special actions such as... uh, we have the local ice hockey team, Pelicans, and they just became uh, carbon neutral last year. Wow. Uh, and that is something that the fans really get to know about in the social media and in the ice hockey matches. And they are really, really like the examples for young people or the sports people. And we are focusing on different type of people, not only the uh, environmentally active people that already would be doing these environmental ac- actions, but also all the other audience that can hear more about these environmental issues. Lati is also focusing on getting companies on board and making it attractive for them to take the circular path. We have this climate partnership program 
that is free of charge and voluntarily, companies can sign this form with the mayor that they want to develop their environmental issues in the company. And then they get support from the city and also marketing benefit for their environmental work. That is one nice example. Charlie Gulstrom brought up Lati as an example where you got credit for doing the right or circular thing. Jenny Rakinen explains it in a bit more detail. It actually uses citizen feedback to decide how to reward greener behaviour. Uh, we are having this participatory budgeting model that we are using. And, and last year we had it on the team of environmental actions that could be made. So the citizens can uh, suggest and then vote what kind of actions or improvements in the city they want to do and in, in different areas of the city. But more than that, going green and moving towards circularity is good for business. Yes, definitely. And there has been, um, there has been questions from companies that they would ha- like to locate in, in Lahti or the surrounding areas because of the uh, sustainability issues that are being developed. And for example, that uh, low emission uh, energy system that we are having here. So that definitely is showing that companies are uh, sending more inquiries that they are interested to locate themselves here. So can we create truly circular cities? Sharon Gill. I think it's crucial that we start thinking about circularity at city level and that we create circular cities. It's possible. The technology is there. Um, It may be a little difficult to decouple ourselves from what we're used to. But I think it's possible. And we should not be disillusioned by the notion that we cannot achieve full circularity right away. As I said, there are national systems or even global systems that need to shift before we can do it. But we can focus on, uh, I think it would help if we focus on how circularity can improve our lives. Uh, Circular interventions in cities help reduce congestion, help reduce waste, if not eliminate waste, bring down costs of our heating and cooling. We can, you know, create, there are opportunities for new jobs with circularity. And we can allow cities to continue to grow in a sustainable and planned manner or to stay small if that's make, if that's uh, more accept, acceptable. So, you know, the focus is on well-being, uh, our relationship with nature. If we look at the city of Stockholm, Charlie Gullström at Suico is also optimistic. And she's optimistic that Europe can create circular cities and the recent EU initiative to create 100 climate-neutral cities is a great way to get things going. It will be slow to to make Stockholm a circular uh, city, but Stockholm has a lot lot of efforts um, which you can say will promote circularity. I mean... The, the important goals in Stockholm, one of them is to, uh, to have an emission-free inner city by 2030. That's yeah. another goal. But I think we will see circularity coming, but we need to help here really industry and big consultants because we work in the early phases of design and planning. Are you optimistic? 
I am actually. First of all, it's so interesting that the sort of Swedish movement uh, around viable cities engaging the 23 cities, many of them are now part of the 100 Cities Mission Initiative. But already we're seeing that in Europe, people are picking up these Swedish uh, ways of, of working and that the, the cities are such interesting nodes for us all to engage in. We live in cities, we live in urban areas, or we live near urban areas. So it, it really has potential as a node for transition. I really believe that the EU has made a very important decision there to, f to really focus on cities. So Andreas, we've heard some examples of cities that are making a lot of progress towards circularity and, and others that are on their way. But, you know, can a city be, be truly circular? I mean, or maybe I'm just too fixed in the old linear thinking of, you know, make and, and, and dispose. But, but can we really be completely circular? Probably not, I would say, in a sense. And, and that's maybe not even the, a good idea because uh, it's, it's the economy, the world economy. A city cannot live by itself and it cannot be circular by itself. But it can certainly think circular and go circular in many ways. And to me, this goes back to, to one of the foundation of the SWEC concept for sustainable urban planning. We, we call it Symbiocity. And the basis for that, and we've been using it in many projects, is to identify three main flows of a city, waste, water, energy, and, and start to treat them as loops and interconnect them. And if cities start in that way, and we, we've been hearing many examples of that, they can go circular in many aspects and they can really benefit from that and, and create a better and more sustainable city. Is there anything you're doing in your day-to-day -day life that you would say is circular? Well, in Sweden, we're good at, at, uh, at sorting out our waste. So we close the outer loop, so to say. And I, 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 I love uh, uh, shopping secondhand, which is a really good example also as well. Uh, when it becomes harder, it's, it's about your, your, uh, the building sector and, and, and start to really think about that. But I think there, we also see actions going on there and, and pressure mounting on companies in the building sector to become more circular. So I'm following that. It's, it's harder to act on a personal scale on it. For sure. Andreas Yellenhammer, thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Urban Inside podcast from Suico. If you've any questions or feedback, please mail to urbaninsight at suicogroup.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.